You were listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Aaron McManus, and I'm here with my dad, Erwin Raphael McManus. Wow, it's good to be back. It's been a while. It's been a while. And on the coldest day of the year in Los Angeles, California. I think it was 39 degrees here in LA. I woke up, and I have like a thing I don't like sleeping with the heat on because I don't know. My house is 101 years old, so like the insulation is <laughs> a little like funky. But you wake up and you're either like burning or freezing. And so this morning I woke up and I'm like, I do not want to get out of bed. It was so cold this morning. So I really am feeling it for the the Seattle people. I think we're colder <laughs> than Seattle today, though. We might be, but I, I just love that crispy feeling. It's just See, wonderful. I love the cold. I love it. I was actually thinking about it. I'm cuter in the cold. <laughs> Well, it's good I to am. know that. Right. I got a little, I got a little overcoat jacket on, a little beanie. I'm wearing sweatpants. My Asics. I've got my uh, McManus sweatpants on, with my uh, FOG top, kind of blending McManus Gallery and Fear of God. McManus Gallery. We launched stuff. We did. We. It's so much fun. I just it love our so new collection. I like our. Um, I, I like the. Um, uniqueness of the materials, the colors, the shorts, the pants, the hoodies, just really gorgeous. It's been fun. It's been really good. And it's been such like a learning curve for us. I think even just getting like reintegrated back into clothing and into to, to the fashion world a bit more apparel, the landscape has changed. We've, we've, uh, I think the releases, this release I'm the most proud of. I'm like really, really genuinely so proud of it. I am too. I even, I just love our totes. We have our yeah. Small, large totes are just so gorgeous. I, I just think everything that we've done for this collection is just really unique and beautiful. Yeah, it's really cool. So let's get into some stuff. I just want to hit some topics because we haven't really been around on the pod. <laughs> and people have been complaining. And you know what? Thank you. No, I don't care. No, thank you for your complaints. I'm glad you missed us. Do you? You miss, you, you miss them? I miss them. No, I, I, I miss um, all of our listeners. I missed our our podcast. I miss our conversations together. I'm really glad that you texted me this morning and said battle ready. And so we're uh, diving back in, but this will be our last battle ready for 2021. No, I don't know. Maybe we can get one in next week before Maybe we get go one off. more. Yeah. Okay. That'll be great. Next week. Have our Christmas edition next week. That would be fun. Yeah. Maybe we could turn this into some Christmassy with some snow or something. I don't know. It's kind of hard to make the word battle feel Christmassy. <laughs> I know. So he, here's the thing. So, you know, like obviously We've been doing this. I don't know. What episode is this? So many. Over 100. Can we find out? Yeah, we, have, we have Sir Austin St. John in the, in the booth. In the booth over there. Um, we've got to be in the 100 something category. But we went really hard during COVID doing this podcast. And it's been such a gift, such an honor to do it. Um, I'm always a little bit thrown off when I meet people and they check out the podcast first. You know, I'm like, no, no, just get to know me as a human before you go and listen to me as a louder version of myself. But I have to tell you, I've, I've been traveling and even going down to Mexico City, I met so many people who um, know you because of Battle Ready. They love Battle Ready. They love you. They like me. Yeah. And um, it's it's incredible how many people from other countries are listening to Battle Ready. And it I just cool. really appreciate it. So if you're listening, we love you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, We're sorry we've been gone. Yes, but sometimes absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yes. So your heart must be growing dramatically fonder of Exploding us. Exploding with fond <laughs> fondness. <Yes. laughs> so uh, I guess let's let's go. Uh, what's a couple of things we can talk about? Uh, can, how, do you want to go heavy or light? 
Uh, let's go light. Let's go. Let's Steph. go light. Okay, Steph Curry breaks the three point record. Oh man, I just all time well, shooting record, which is kind of a crazy thing that when Ray Allen broke the record, when he broke, I think it was Reggie Miller's record. Yeah. Um, no one thought that record would ever be broken. I mean, it, it felt like one of those records that would be untouchable. Yeah. And here you have these two greats who are still alive and still really vibrant and healthy watching Steph Curry decimate um, the the speed in which the record was set. In half the time, 2,974 three-pointers. He broke it against the New York Knicks last night or a couple nights ago, depending on when in you're listening Madison to this. Madison Square Garden, the most iconic court in the world. That's the best thing that's happened in the garden in a long time. <laughs> in a long time. Probably the best thing since, I don't know, One Direction played there. I I, I don't know. Like, the, you know, New York has a lot of things. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have basketball. No. Uh, it did have basketball. Yeah, I it see, was I, once I, married. I know, but I can still see Patrick Ewing there. I can, what? I, I, I can see those those glimpses of greatness that the Knicks had that they just never able to, to yeah. get over no. the hump. I mean, the moment when was it Carmelo Anthony was there and they almost were great. They had Lynn, Lynn, Lynn Sanity with you know, Jeremy did. Lynn. And, they did. And there's always these moments that the Knicks tease all their fans uh, with the pretension that they're going to be great. Yeah. And then it goes back, maybe this year. You never know. No, it won't be this year. There's no, no way. Well, <laughs> there's no way. Well, at least they had Steph. At le- hey, the best thing that's happened to the Knicks is Steph Curry coming in and raining one on them, breaking that record. It's, it's, look, we're Clippers fans. Yes. Yeah, so we have nothing we can say to the Knicks. <laughs> All we can do is talk trash, talk trash, and be honest about ourselves, and then take out the trash, and then t- and then talk trash and about other teams. Yep. The Warriors feel like though the team that I've always been able to root for. Yes. And did I care about the Warriors before Steph Curry? Absolutely not. Will I care about them after Steph Curry? Absolutely not. But I love them, and I love Steph Curry, and I love Clay Thompson. I like Steve Kerr, Draymond Green. It feels like you know we've always been secret Warriors fans. Yeah. We were there for Steph's first finals against the Cavs. Yeah. We went up to Oakland and went to the game. Yeah. And so we didn't realize that we would be there for really the first finals game of the beginning of a legacy of five appearances in the finals, three championships. So so we, we were not bandwagon fans because we were there from the very beginning before yeah. anyone knew. When it was just a wagon. Warriors. Yeah. Just a wagon. There's no was, I don't know why I said <laughs> that so Midwest. Okay, so so uh, Steph Curry breaks the record. What else is going on? Well, I, I do want to say that um, when Steph first started um, becoming a star, he came out with uh, his first pair of shoes with Under Armour. Right. They were god-awful. And I— uh, The ugliest things I've ever seen in my life. I was sent to pair. Were you? Did you send them back? No, because I was sent to pair as a gift by my agent. And when I opened up the box, the the paper that wrapped the shoes up said, I can do all things. That's really And it cool. was uh, quoting Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Except and, for design shoes. <laughs> I can do all things except for design shoes for Under Armour. <laughs> and, and my understanding is that that's fundamentally one of the reasons he didn't sign with Nike 
And uh, other than I think they messed up the presentation. <laughs> they called, what did they call him? They called him Kevin Durant. And they had someone else's uh, presentation. It was, Kevin. it was KD, wasn't it? It was Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. So that lets you know you don't really have the value that um, they're pretending that you have. Um, but I just love the fact, yes, the shoes were not the best shoes. Um, the, and uh, the design was not gonna, not not trend setting, but I just really appreciated the fact that his faith was so central to the story, to yeah. the story of his life and of uh, his career from the very beginning. It's really cool. His marriage, his uh, you know, his uh, being a dad, his family. Um, I posted the photograph of his dad Dell hugging him, and, and you posted just, it. I did just wrote legacy when? In, my, in my story this morning. Oh, okay, okay. Put it in the story and and then the second photograph I posted was him um, giving his wife like a high five afterwards. Okay. And because I felt like... I don't think his wife was there. I think it was his mom. I think it was... Look at my story. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Well, and, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. But um, to me, Steph Curry is a great athlete, right. but his family and his relationships make him a great person. And, and, I, and that increases my respect for him. Okay. So... Wait a minute. I, I, th I think we have some um, liquid coming in. Oh, thank you so some much. Hot tea. Thank you, Austin. Wow. Thanks, Austin. Um, I don't know how you did that and did this, but you must have some helpers. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, okay, so Steph Curry, that happened. Um, I had COVID three weeks ago. You did. That was super fun. Mm -hmm. um, had it for four days. And Maybe longer. I'm not sure. Like the, I test a lot and I tested negative when I wasn't feeling well. And mm. then I guess the Sunday, it was the end of November. No, it was the week. Of, right before right Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yeah. And so I was the week and right before so Thanksgiving. mad because Thanksgiving is yeah. like actually my favorite holiday. In fact, you tested negative Thanksgiving morning so you could come over. You could come over. I mean, I was saying come over anyway, yeah. but you were like, no, I'm going to keep you guys safe. Yeah, no, I, I said I wasn't going to come over unless I tested negative. So I, but I tested positive for four days mm -hmm. and I was over pretty quick mm -hmm. two th three of the days were rough but you know I'm really I think I'm really fortunate I did get the vaccine I know I talked a lot of garbage about the vaccine <laughs> I still will come at me <laughs> you know come at me though my thing is this <laughs> never mind no I, I think that you've always been more against mandates and yeah. being forced, feeling forced to take the vaccine more than the vaccine. I am, like, I am, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm mm -hmm. anti-stupid. And so when something feels unwell, and I think I would say I have a pretty good radar of what's good and what's bad, or when something feels off, and for sure it felt off in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that, like, a vaccine is supposed to make you feel that way when you have it. <laughs> But, you know, I was lucky. Like, I had a mild response to the vaccine. <laughs> I also had a mild response to COVID. I also took ivermectin. I gave my homie, <laughs> I'm not, who, who must not be named because he has to claim it, not me, the monoclonal drip that I was supposed to get. Are we allowed to talk about that, Austin? <laughs> yes, sir. Austin got COVID with me. <laughs> and I sent um, that. Uh, well, I, yeah. I, I actually ordered it for you. And then you basically said, I'm doing better. Well, I had talked to one of our doctors, yeah. one of your doctor friends, yeah. and they were like, I think you're good because you just had 
the vax like just two months ago. So like your body's fighting it. Cause she's like, how do you feel? And I'm like, I feel fine. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I was able to, I was going on long walks in the morning, mm-hmm. trying to like make sure I kept my, you know, just exercise up to as much as I could. I did not want to get stuck in bed. Although you're not so, supposed to be exercising while you have COVID. wasn't exercising. Just I was just walking, walking you yeah. know, and, 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 um, and then Austin got it. And he and we're not gonna talk about his vax history, but he needed the monoclonal more than I did, so I gave it to my friend. Because you're, it, really, it hit you pretty hard, right, Austin? It did. It did. I was <clears> down <throat> for a couple of days. We're not gonna talk bad. about why. And uh, it hit Austin very, very hard. And um, but and did the IV help? It helped a lot. Twenty four hours later, I was feeling so much better. Also, you know what? You know what freaked me out about when 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 uh, Doctor Ma called me and like explained to me what the monoclonal drip was because she wasn't recommended either way. I was begging. I was like, "Give me the Joe Rogan juice. <laughs> I want all the things Joe Rogan <laughs> had, whether you like them or not." I just wanted, you know, I like. If <laughs> sure. I already did the vaccine, I already put something in my body I did not approve of, so why not give me all of it? <laughs> and it's not the first time you've put something in your body that you shouldn't have been in there. <laughs> no, my twenties were filled with adventures. <laughs> I do think it's funny, all these people going, I don't want to take the vaccine. I don't know what's in it. You guys, and then you you, you snort and smoke stuff. I do not. Not you. Things. I'm just no. saying there's lots of people who um, were less discriminating. For sure. Well, like I have a group. <laughs> about the drugs they put in their body than they've been about the vaccine. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, we are not condoning drug use, but what we're saying is, it's always interesting when our when friends are, you know. Anyways, yeah. So <clears throat> had it was really grateful. I mean, I'm grateful I'm healthy. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful me and Austin are both young. It, the The response was my body's response was really um really good. Like I was sick for two or three days. Uh, it felt like a flu. Mm-hmm. It was intense, but it wasn't. I never at any point felt like I couldn't breathe. Right. I felt like I couldn't breathe out of my nose. Like I, I you know, like my sinuses were overpowering. But I, I took, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I just like took Robitussin to stop the coughing and then Sudafedra in the day to stop the, like the, the sinuses. Did you it, lose your sense of taste and I, smell? I, I still, I lost my sense of taste and smell. That is weird. I have a Christmas tree in my house. My house is very small. And you like a Christmas tree, like it's kind of cool because my house has like a pitched roof in the front. Mm-hmm. My house is small, small, small. <laughs> like when people, I try to explain it. I'm like, it's not a house, it's a casita. <laughs> it's a it's an it's an apartment outside, <laughs> and I mean, it's, it's a garage a, with permits. It is, it is. It's a garage they cut up and put a kitchen in. But like you know, like I, people who don't live in LA have no concept of the tiny like house that is my house. But people who live in LA, it's like oh, that's cool. It's a house. Um, but I have a Christmas tree, and you should be able to smell it throughout right. my entire house. Yeah, I I go every day, and I it is a Nordsman. We went mm-hmm. Christmas tree shopping. Yeah. You dragged me to the office and you're like, you're going to go with me and mom. And I was like, okay, great. And it was the most fun. It was so fun. The guys, I tipped, you know, I, I'd never have cash because of COVID now. And because cash was like a New York thing. You always kept cash on you. And, you know, and you always keep, you always keep cash on you. Yeah, some um, of my background. <laughs> but also it's like robbing season in LA. People getting robbed. Yeah. Hold up. Wait, I'm going to tell my Christmas story. But then did you hear about last night? No. I want more no. Tell your Christmas story, then let's go back to this. Back to what? Last night. Robbing season? Whatever. Yeah. Okay. So a couple things happen. Christmas tree, we go and get it. Me and you see like the guy was really fun walking into the Christmas yeah. trees. It was on the corner of um Highland and Franklin. And he was like, This is called a Nordsman. And me and you just had an affinity to the Nordsman. We like had an emotional connection with this tree. No, Kim said that's a that's a sad tree. It's a weepy tree. You're like, of course you two want the sad tree. <laughs> 
<laughs> but we want to make this sad tree happy. We want to yeah. give the sad tree a home. <laughs> but it like it kind of like droops. <laughs> it like does. it starts really high and then it like droops as like it grows. Yeah. And or as it like falls. And it was it's so beautiful. So I got a smaller version of that, right. which is still pretty big. And I can't smell it for my life. And it makes me really sad because I can't smell it. I can taste this tea, but I can't taste like any depth in the tea, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Sure. So I can the weirdest thing was coffee. Because during COVID, I still drank coffee at home. And I it tasted like hot water. Hmm. I oh, so yesterday when I was telling you the coffee was too strong, I really w- w- I don't even know why I'm having the conversation with no. you. You can't taste no. it anyway. You're just no. pretending. But I can't taste like <laughs> aftertaste. Mm-hmm. So like I could tell that the coffee like I went to Tartine and Tartine's coffee was terrible, and I went and then Cyclat what? We might we might have friends who work at Tartine. Well, then you got to fix the coffee, bro. And if you wear a great white, <laughs> fix the coffee there too. Um, All but, right, let's just be real. No, but then Cy- fix the coffee, guys. So Cyclass is my local right now because it's where I live, and like Cyclass's coffee is at least is better than Tartine. Just, but I can't really taste. So like I used to have such. A, I think I had a pretty good mm-hmm. like taste. I could I could taste coffee pretty right. like the depth and the notes and like what was like, what was actually being, um, like uh, the flavors that were there. I have so I can't do it now. So wow. I can't really taste things like chicken. I can't taste like bread. See, that makes me middle, sad. It does make me sad. I have to say, two years into this thing, I still have not gotten COVID. No. And I don't understand how that's possible. I mean, you've gotten COVID. Austin has has had, had COVID. Everyone around Tyson, me. Eric had COVID. Yeah, people, all, all of our team. I mean, Everybody. Joe Smith. I the mean. Only people who haven't had it. You and mom. And Mariah. And right, we think Jake had to have had yeah. it at some point. And so somehow the three of us um, have been just absolutely immune to it. And we've been around so many people and we've been around so many people with COVID, not just people who might have COVID. We've been around people who had COVID. But the reality um, is, it, sorry, did you want yeah, to finish? No. It, You're going to get it. It, it, yeah. I'm, I, well, I, one of the things I told you, because like at one point I was going, like you mm-hmm. guys were being... This is my thing with you and mom is like, you guys are a little reckless when it comes to your own selves. You were like, I don't care if you have COVID. Like, let me come hang out with you. And I was like, no. Well, now no, they're worried no, about no. the Omicron. Wait, wait, hold on. I'm not done All with right. this. And so like the, the day before I tested negative, it, I was so sad because it was the day before, uh, the, no, the day before I tested negative it was the day before Thanksgiving. And my rule was if I don't test negative, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna right. go. And so I drove over to your house and I sat on my car and you sat on your front yard and it was like 20 feet away from each other. And your mom's yelling at me because I'm getting too close to the car. Because you went and got a coffee and you dropped it off in my car. And, you know, and whatever. Like, But I I did say this to you. I was like, I'm not really, I think before I was really worried that you guys would get it. And like, yeah. you know, you, you're a cancer survivor. You've, you've had health stuff. You have lungs stuff. You have lung stuff. I was really worried about it. I was, I'm not that worried for you. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, I was like, it was bad, but it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if you disagree, Austin, at least for me. Well, I mean, I think it's different levels for different people. Mm-hmm. And so it was pretty bad for Austin. It was not as bad for you. Yeah. Um, it wasn't. There's was three days of no fun, though. Like, yeah. There was no fun in the world for those three days. Austin, was it a couple of weeks for you? It was It was like three or four days. Three or four days. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like and the then bad, a couple bad. weeks of I can't do anything because I'm so tired. Now, do you have your taste back? I do. Yeah, but I did do. you ever have good taste? <laughs> did, uh, <laughs> I, I would hope did, so. Did you have your smell back? Yes. So wow. I can smell some stuff, but I can't smell like, I can't smell it well. So it's interesting. He had a more severe, but he has less lingering effects. You had a lighter version, but you have more lingering effects. 
And then, yeah. you know. And I was definitely tired for probably another week and a half afterwards. Yeah. Like, we released the collection and I was struggling. Like, I could barely get yeah. work done. And so some of the things that we were going to release and some of the things we're going to do with our Make Mass Gallery, we were putting on hold because just facing some of the uh, health issues that people had and all yeah, the stuff yeah. we have going on. Uh, and we want to really have fun and give people great access to yeah. beautiful things. We and, did a photo shoot and I had to do it from Zoom. Yeah, it was really challenging. We were like trying to hire models and do the whole casting and like Nicole Lewis on our team was like coordinating everything. And then something would happen every time. She would get sick, I would get sick, mm -hmm. Austin would get sick. And at one point I was just shooting products by myself when I got better because I was like, every, everyone was on a different, mm -hmm. you know, timeline. Yeah. So we shot you as the model, which was really fun. Yeah, so I, I will say two great. things. If you what? want to order something at McManus Gallery and get it by Christmas, you better do it fast because um, fulfillment is um, Aaron McManus. It is me. And then, and if you order it super close to Christmas, just be super patient because yeah, this yeah. is, uh, we do not have a massive corporation behind us. This is just yeah, no. us. And when I say us, I mean him. <laughs> you're like, you're the best for moral support because you'll come in and you'll hang and you're like, do you want me to do anything? I'm like, I, I want you to touch nothing. You want me, I, I want like, you to leave. My sister, I'm like, I need you to go home <laughs> so I can work and get stuff done. Um, but you know, now there's the Omicron variation. And, variant, uh, yeah. Yeah, but um, I, I feel very encouragement, encouraged because, you know, uh, Governor um, Newsom has called in Optimus Prime to take care of Omicron. And so okay. it's going to be... Governor Newsom. I don't want to get too much into politics. No, I'm just joking. It just sounds—it sounds like a transformer, right? It sounds like one of the bad it guys. It does. I'm like, who's naming this thing? Uh, but you know, so but uh, but uh, the research says I think that Omicron's less less deadly than. than it, you know, this Delta. really frustrated me because I would read these articles and the headlines would say deadly variant. And, uh, and and the first paragraph or two would just talk about how deadly and dangerous it was in its spread. And then by the third paragraph, it would say, uh, but the symptoms are really mild, uh, yeah. mild fatigue and some scratchy throat. And, and I went, wait a minute, why isn't that the lead? Yeah. That yes, there's a variant, but there, there is absolutely no evidence whatsoever that the variant has any effect severely on anyone. And even the, the the doctor scientist in South Africa who identified the variant said that it was virtually non-symptomatic for people. And, yeah, I loved, I, this yeah. was interesting for me, right? Because I think one thing that's happening is I think people are realizing if they don't speak up, the truth will be, will not be the truth. And the media is not a safe place. And that the media, and not, and not, I'm not discrediting all of it. I think, I think there's so many great aspects of the media, but you like anything, that has a perspective, it is controlled by someone and a series of people, whether it's producers, whether it's writers, whether it's the people on camera, all the stuff going on with Cuomo, the Cuomo's in, yeah. in New York is hilarious. Not, not, the, not this, not like the heartbreaking stuff, but like hilarious in the sense that something felt off the entire time. Yeah. And now that things are coming out, like I never want to like rejoice in people's like uh, bad moments, but it just show, it shows this, that like, Every media outlet, because like all my friends who were like CNN, CNN they're, they're good, they're good, they're good, it's perfect, perfect, perfect. I don't like Fox News. That is like cartoons to me. That's like watching dark cartoons to me. But <laughs> at least CNN, you were like, okay, there's hope in the world. Like this, at least this is, but it, you know, you realize that everything to some degree has, has an agenda one way or the other. But I love that the scientific community came out really strong against the New York Times headline that said like the Omicron found in South Africa. 
Mm-hmm. And they came out saying, of course, it was found in South Africa. It has like some of the top leading virologists in the world because they're dealing with Africa. Yeah. And so like they're there because that's where that's where if you're going to study virology, like that's where I think it's virology, like yeah. the study of viruses. Yeah. That's where you go. Yeah. But then they, 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 the, our government um, blocks what eight nations from traveling into our country when the variants Already all over the world. Yeah, and that was in the article. It was like, no, no, yeah. this isn't South Africa, but also it's in Asia. It's in Latin America. It's yeah. in North America. It's in the UK and Europe. Yeah. And, and sometimes I just have to remind myself because I, I'm a person who tries to stay away from conspiracy theories on every side. Uh, that while it may not be conspiracy theories, but you have to realize that people in power can actually be driven by fear. Right. And because they're human. They, the, yes, they're scientists or yes, they're doctors or yes, they're presidents or yes they are people in power but some people are more driven by fear and what i see with omicron is i see people who are incredibly driven by fear rather than by science and that's why people say i trust the science and going stop acting like science is religion you know it's like when people go i you know i believe the bible and i'm like yeah which part of the bible do you believe and what are you talking about specifically and when people say i trust science and going Look, science is more dynamic. Uh, some scientists um, are more driven by um, an objective view of what's happening in the world. Some people are, some scientists are more driven by fear. Some of them, scientists are political. There are, there are conservative scientists and liberal scientists. And we shouldn't act like it's a uh, monolithic perspective when you're dealing with science. That's what we should do in this next episode. Not this episode, but the next one is we should break down all of the dumb sayings that culture accepted in the last two years. Because I think the idea of trusting the science is you can, science is not singular Mm -hmm. and science is not uh, concrete and it doesn't stay in one place. It's not, what would it be? It's not not fixed. Well, it's not static. It's not static. That's the word I'm looking for. It's not static. Science is literally in the literal sense, it is always evolving. It is always growing. The understanding that scientists have are continually growing. And you were part of so many communities that are science-based communities. Absolutely. And even when I was at the hospital the other day, um, it, there was a billboard talked about um, the vaccine. It said, I trust science. And I'm going, two years ago, it was said, I trust medicine. But now it's become a political statement to say, I trust science. And I'm going, see, I actually do trust medicine. Uh, medicine makes a lot of advances. It makes a lot, it develops. Uh, but I also don't trust all um, medical personnel. <laughs> Yeah. And because people who have have used medicine to hurt people, people have used medicine for political reasons, and uh, and you know and um, and and frankly, uh, um, there's a movie I really like. In it came out in 2013, and it's directed by Zal. I'm gonna butcher his last name, but Mangli. His brother <laughs> is in Vampire Weekend, mm. and uh, produced by Ridley Scott. Mm-hmm. And this girl that I really love since mm-hmm. I went to uh, when I was in film school and then also went to uh, Park City. What is it called? Sundance for the first time. Oh, yeah. I saw yeah. her like debut thing, Britt Marling. And it's Britt Marling, Elliot Page, Alexander Skarsgård, who's now in Secession, who I love. Mm-hmm. Mariah saying hi back there. Uh, she just left. And it is the entire movie is about how this is the this is the, the the synopsis. An undercover agent at a private intelligence firm is hired to infiltrate the East, an eco-terrorism cell targeting companies that pollute the environment. And the entire movie is about how essentially each one of them have been affected by companies like Pfizer, mm. 
and Johnson and Johnson who released uh obviously released prescription medicine before it was actually when it was FDA approved but before right. it was actually like safe for humans and that there were a group of people who had all it was kind of really cool because it's kind of like these like superhero guys that they're mm -hmm. all affected badly by the side effects mm -hmm. and they had found each other to like destroy like this eco-terrorist um big pharma thing and i think it's so fascinating that that's now that it, like, it's the complete opposite, right? Is we were run by big pharma. It's not trusting the science. It's either, you have to decide. So that's, I think it's such a manipulative term, right? Because yeah. we talk about this in the next episode. You're not trusting the science. You're trusting Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, and what was the other Moderna. one? Moderna. That was like the super ghetto one, wasn't it? No, Johnson & Johnson was the ghetto one, right? But this, and I say ghetto because like, I think then the, or the articles came out that like maybe it was like not that effective at all. Yeah, and I felt like that's where I pulled back a little bit because I actually told a couple of people, hey, Early on, I think if you're going to get one, probably get the Johnson Johnson, and then I, and then I immediately found out that Johnson Johnson was the most dangerous one, and I and I realized I have to be super careful here because I don't know. I'm just working on what I'm learning, and they don't know. No. <laughs> and, uh, they don't know, and uh, and 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 I don't even. I'm not attributing malintent to anyone. I'm just saying no. that people are pretending to know a lot more than they do. Yes. And they're overreacting. There's just no question in my mind that um, so much of what's happened across our nation has been overreaction. And and a lot of it is, I think, motivated by fear. And then it becomes political. And then it's politicized. And then it becomes um, bigger And then it becomes the trust issue. the science. Yeah. And then it becomes kind of brainwashy. And that's where that issue with me is. I am definitely a conspiracy theorist. Not like in the <laughs> QAnon sense, because I think like for me, like, uh, that stuff freaks me out, but so does the far, like far left, far right freaks me yeah. out. I'm the far middle, like take the middle and just go straight down, like in down <laughs> to, like a rabbit hole. Um, the, uh, and we've come a long way during COVID. Mm -hmm. I think I've figured out a lot of political beliefs, social beliefs and cultural beliefs. Uh, I got a call this week talking about kind of mass media and, and how we like, uh, I guess, what does it consume and, and digest what's going on in the world. Uh, I got a call yesterday saying, hey, is LA as dangerous as everybody's saying it is? Oh, you were talking about something happened last night. Yep, let me get there though. Okay. And so I said, well, you have to understand when you know you when you go to a big city, if you just can't be stupid, like you have right. to, and I mean, and mean this in the sense of this, you have to be hyper aware of yeah. what's going on around you. Even when you're walking to your front door, mm -hmm. you know, there was a video a couple of weeks ago yeah. uh, in our hiatus where a woman in mom's in your neighborhood was walking her baby in her stroller. Yeah, it's so and sad. She, and she's like, obviously, I like can work out gear. And she had a gated property. And like a 10-foot gate. and Electric gate. Electric gate. Puts the code into like, so there's multiple camera angles on the news. And she opens the gate. And as she goes around the gate to go inside, another camera picks up these two guys pretending to be on a walk, put masks down, come in and rob her with her baby there. Yeah. And like, luckily, they just took the two bags and then like they ran. They took the baby bag. So weird, which it's just dark. So it's just weird. Broad daylight morning, yeah. I think. And so, you know, we were talking. People are, I mean, then then a guy got killed in my neighborhood in mm -hmm. outside of a, I mean, you know, I, I, like some people would say that there's Hollywood and there's like the Hollywood and then there's West Hollywood and mm -hmm. it kind of all merges together. And depending right. on what street you're on, you can really be a different energy. Yeah. Um, the street I'm on, I would say it's up and coming. <laughs> and it's still being lifted up <laughs> and, gonna, it has a little while before it's uh, right lifted and so up completely. Yeah. but you know a few blocks away is sunset and 
some guys were getting food, a place, uh, getting pickup from a, uh, you know, takeout from a place that we've gone lots of times, getting back in their car, and they were uh, the guns pulled on them. They pulled a gun to try to, I guess, like defend themselves, and then and like they got killed. The two guys got killed, who wow. were the guys who were getting in the car. So and that's happened. So then last night, this morning, I get a text. So I, I had that conversation last night. Is is LA actually as dangerous, or right. can we come for New Year's? And I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not leaving. So I, it is dangerous sure. though. You know, there's, it's robbing season. Like that's just yeah. the reality. And, and there are cars following cars home yeah, and robbing them when they get to their houses. Yeah. yeah. And like, if, uh, you know, it happened in Beverly Hills. It's yeah. happening locally. Yeah. It's happening here. everywhere. Yeah. So, you know, you go to a restaurant or you go to a grocery store and then there's a car that's following you home because they spot your car. And by the way, I was astonished that Garcetti actually, our mayor, oh. bl- blamed it on people yeah. Uh, being on their phones too much. I sent you that video, right? Yeah. Instead, instead of instead of dealing with the issue of crime, did you see it, Austin? And he deals with um, it's it's because we're looking at our phones too much, so we're not aware of the world around us. In a press conference with like twenty, I don't even know if they were police. I don't think they were police officers. I think because I don't think the police really like him. I think there was he had like officiants behind him, and they said, you know, the reason this is happening is because people are looking at their phones. And so stop looking at your phones when you get into your car, when you're going into your house, wow. which maybe there's logic to it. But the way he's saying it, I'm like, no, how about, man, make the city safe? Yeah. Like instead of, you know, I don't want to get in on a, on a political rant. So here's the deal. So I will go to a text from Air, Air Groy mm-hmm. saying that his boss that he works with um, texted him. and was I, I don't know if there's a group text with guys mm-hmm. that are local, but he's also a local and he doesn't live far from me saying that that uh, two different houses last night. Here it is. Uh, just talked to my boss. There were two break-ins on his street last night. Five guys came in and barricaded the families in their homes. What? Yes. And you know, it's in like... So this is in a really nice area. Really nice. Like, wow. But also like, you know, I'm on the not so nice end of that street. But if you took my street all the way down, that's yeah. like where his neighborhood is. Yeah. It, insane. Five mm. guys, two different houses. Five guys robbed two different houses, barricading the families in. Yeah. What were they going to accomplish by barricading the families in? Well, I'm guessing they're like, they're keeping the family from calling 911 and they're robbing the house. Wow. Yeah. So it's pretty, it's pretty aggressive. Yeah. It's really aggressive. Um, so it's, it's an interesting season in LA and it, and it, it was bad last year, but it wasn't this bad. No. And I don't know if it, I, people are going to be upset that I'm saying this, but I actually think a huge amount of the, uh, criminality and lawlessness is connected to um, our um, nation allowing all the rioting that happened and looting during um, that paralleled with the Black Lives Matter. Now, I understand that it wasn't people who were genuinely fighting for. No, it wasn't the BLM uh, movement, but it was on the coattails. But because they allowed all that to happen all around it, because they allowed the looting and they allowed the destruction and they allowed people to get away with it, it, it actually created a uh, a new baseline in our society. I do think there's a connection. I also think that those that looting and rioting uh, had a direct effect on the January 6th um, uh, attack on the Capitol. I think that what's happened is that we've moved toward a almost an acceptance of lawlessness in our country. And uh, and and and, I and do, it shows again yeah. with Kyle Rittenhouse, right? Yeah. I, I mean, that's an interesting situation there where um, I was talking to a couple of people who were more informed and they said, hey, the problem is not the verdict that they came out with not guilty. The problem is the laws. 
Right. And they, they said, uh, the verdict was right. The laws are wrong. We need to fix the laws. Right. And, uh, and, 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 and it, I couldn't help but have the feeling like I'm going, all right, way before you get to a 17-year-old kid with an auto, semi-automatic weapon killing two people and, and injuring a third person, I have to say, I mean, if it was a black 17-year-old or a Latino 17-year-old, I don't even know if he would have got there without being shot and killed. Yeah, yeah. See, I, I think that he, there had been a, a higher likelihood that he would have been killed uh, by carrying that weapon. And I, and I think sometimes we don't realize it's, it's not all the other dynamics that people are saying, this is where inequity comes in. It's actually in that invisible space. And I would never think when I was 17 year old that I could get away with walking around with an automatic weapon or semi-automatic weapon. Because I'm, I was a Latino from El Salvador. Yeah. People don't see you though as that. Yeah, that's because uh, time and, um, um, and reputation, people see you through who they know you to be. And, uh, but when I traveled the world, they saw me very differently when I was younger. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, um, a lot of times, you know, um, I was seen as a potential criminal source, a potential, uh, travel risk. And, um, and, and so I lived a lot of my life being seen differently. Now I get the benefit of the other. So Kyle, Kyle Rittenhouse, it's, it's Rittenhouse, right? Yeah. I don't like this kid. I don't like this kid. I don't like this kid. But I do think, only from both sides, right? The reason I don't like this kid is I saw him on a podcast like a week after mm-hmm. he, his, his arraignment and he was found not guilty. And I just don't understand how you find him not guilty. I understand that some of the things that he did were with, were loopholes within the law. Mm-hmm. But how does a 17-year-old kid who is, has a semi-auto weapon that is not his, mm-hmm. He can't drive. Like, no, he can drive. Sorry, sorry. He can't vote yet. He's mm-hmm. he's 17. So how can he carry a semi-automatic weapon? And I understand there's a state of lawlessness, right? But and I and I get to some degree. I did see the videos. I do think Yeah, there were definitely other mitigating things that that led to a not guilty. Right. And and remember, not guilty doesn't mean innocent. It means that you're not legally guilty of a crime. And uh and <laughs> and I no, and I think that's a really a significant thing in the in the process, and I, I and you know I've heard both sides. I've heard people talk about you know he was going to defend the place that had been, uh, you know, trashed and um, vandalized the day before. All these different things are happening. I'm just, uh, but as, as, when I've listened to him, I thought, why why are people trying to make him a hero? Well, he, he's definitely not a hero, and um, but I, but I I I think the fact that we're actually having conversations about 17-year-olds carrying semi-automatic weapons to try to deal with social unrest shows how bad of a situation we're in right now. And I do think all those things are connected with the lawlessness right now. And I also think that this mindset that um, when you create a two-class dichotomy, rich people are evil. So people who have are evil and people who do not have, have the right to take what people have you're you create this deeper sense of lawlessness of uh the moral compass of i shouldn't steal from someone else it's wrong it's even if my being poor even if my not having what that person that not having what that person has is not right it's not right for me to take it from that person that's being eliminated right now because it's it's creating this bifurcation 
Um, it's the haves against the have-nots. And if you have, you're the bad guys. And if you have not, you have the right to take from the haves. And um, and at the same time, it seems like it's also create. We're in the middle of the situation where people are saying, "I don't know if I want to go back to work, but I do know I want to have what people who work have." And I think there are deeper social issues that we're going to have to deal with um, as a society as we move forward. I, I thought it was really interesting. <laughs> uh, so okay, so he, here, mm -hmm. I, I think everything you said is amazing. Is really incredible. <laughs> I also think it's very very true. We have we are faced with some big issues now. Mm -hmm. One being, I don't want Kyle Rittenhouse to go to jail. I want him to go for the rest of his life through a program, a mental health program. A seventeen-year-old carrying a semi-auto who kills two people—you're not well. And if you're not affected by it, you're a sociopath. Yes, and honestly, on the podcast that I listened to him, and he was like, "F LeBron." for making this comment, he's like laughing about it. I was like, I, I, I saw it and I, and I just saw the clip and you know, it's out of context and so much is out of context. So I don't want to, you know, tell him, you know, say that he's a terrible person, but I didn't like what I saw. I saw a lot of arrogance. I saw a 17 year old, a white 17 year old who was in, enabled, you know? Mm. And, and even just like the, um, the photos of him crying, you know, it felt it, in court, it just felt, uh, it felt as um, untrustworthy as all the trust the science stuff. Like something just felt off about mm -hmm. it. You know, I'm like, okay, so you're a child when you want to be a child. And then you're a big man when you're on this podcast saying F LeBron, you know. Yeah, that's the thing I, is that he was crying uncontrollably during the trial. I, I think I would have changed my mind. I didn't think it was sincere. No, it but, was not but, sincere. But if in the interviews later... He was crying because he killed those people. Yes. Then I would say maybe he was sincere because the emotions would have carried forward, but I didn't see that. Yeah, just what it, like, my and, thing is, it felt like he was bragging on the pod. And I, and I like, I want to go back and listen to it more. And I'm going, you took, wh whether those people were terrible people or, or not, uh, you took two lives. And yeah. there should be some kind of reverence, like yeah. some kind of mourning to that. Yeah, some remorse. Remorse. Yeah, that's the thing is that even if I, if someone broke into my house and they were a criminal, and they were trying to rob or even hurt my family. And and somehow I, I had to make the choice to kill that person. Uh, it, I would be convinced it was the right thing to do. I, But I would be devastated by killing another human being. I would be devastated by it. We've talked about this a lot because, yeah. you know, we've had the conversations like, are we gun people or are we not gun people? And I'm like, <laughs> I, t I called you the other day and I was like, I'm living alone on like a really sketchy <laughs> block. Like, can we be gun people now? Or... <laughs> <laughs> and you were always like, we're baseball bat people, you know, like we're not gun people. And, but you know, it felt, um, it felt, uh, cause there was a, it was the week that those guys got killed Yeah, and they were outside the Range Rover and you know, they pulled the gun back. So like, you know, did they hide in the situation for sure? And you were calling me to say, you know, if you get robbed, the answer is here you go. Here's all my stuff. Not, yeah. I, not I don't the, own anything worth, um, my life, your life, you, you know, yeah. people I love. Yeah. And um, at the same time, I do think that um, our our political structures need to recognize that having a society where people respect each other's property is a rare and fragile culture. And what do you if, mean? What do you mean by that? We're assuming that um, that our nation will just naturally find its way back to um, 
respecting each other and treating each other with yeah. mutual respect. And um, there is no world in which I think I have a right to go steal from someone else. Um, even if what they earned, I considered unethical in the way they earned it. And um, there is no justification in my mind for me to ever steal from some another from another human being. And uh, my it's my justification to work hard. And if I want more, then I need to either be um, more inventive, more creative, more industrious. Um, but I, I, I don't want envy to drive our culture or greed to drive our culture. And I think right now we're fighting greed among the rich, but we're not fighting envy among those who would steal. <laughs> and and, I, and I, both of them will destroy a culture. There's so much to unpack here. I think there's so much to unpack here. I think, I think my biggest, you know, because I called one of our friends up in Seattle, mm -hmm. you know, I was talking to, to Lawrence and, I was, you know, I was like, how do you feel about this? And I'm not going to give you his opinion, but we were talking about the same conversation of like, was he outside of the law or was he outside of ethics? And was he right? And so like, right. how do you uphold the ethics, uh, human ethics when the, in a state of lawlessness? Right. You know, and I had a bigger, I had an issue because I'm going, you know, he, ki he killed three white people. You know? No, two white people. No, and, and shot a third one. And oh, sorry, shot killed two white people and shot a third white right. person. And so, even in that of itself, is it like uh, a paradox, right? Because right. they, you know, obviously, if it was a young, I, I fully believe if it was a young black man who sh shot two white people, he would be. He, I don't think he would have even made it off the street that night. Right. Yeah. If right? he actually got to a trial. Yeah. I don't even he think would he be would. guilty. No. Yeah. Um, and and so you you have to see mm -hmm. it from that perspective. Obviously, the law is the law, and and you have to find him guilty within the law. But I'm but I'm going at a certain point. What he symbolized was far greater and far deeper, not far greater, but like far more um, hurtful mm -hmm. than what I think the outcome was. And yeah. so that's that, my I, issue, right? Yeah, I think one of the challenges was when it first happened. I don't know how, but I assumed by the way I was hearing things from the media that he shot two black people for sure. And um, and shot a third black person, and right. but killed two black people. It was only later, I mean, much later, where I discovered no, the two people killed were white. And and I thought, okay, wait a minute, how was this framed as a racial issue? This is this is a terrible issue, but that that was not a racial issue. And uh, no, and and I think sometimes we're trying to politicize things, and so we actually make justice murky. And, you know, and so one, I, look, I have friends and they're hunters and I want them to always have the right to have their guns to hunt. And, uh, and I, no matter what I feel or other people feel about hunting, I think they have the right to do that. And um, I, I think that people have a, a right to have some level of defense. And, um, but this whole this whole industry of selling semi-automatic pieces to create a weapon that is technically illegal, but all the parts are not illegal. Yeah, we need to find a way to stop that. And so when I when I hear people on the the left say, "Hey, let's get rid of all the guns," and then people on the right going, "No, we need to protect all the rights." I'm going, why can't two intelligent people get in a room and go? You're not going to take away everyone's gun. Right. And it's not even right. Right. But you've got to stop 
making these kinds of weapons so easily available uh, to everyone. I mean, we, 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 it's, it's the reason you put the, the, you know, you put the drug dealers in prison, but you don't go after the drug lords. You know, the, the greatest, the greatest, uh, the greatest warlords in the world live in America. Mm -hmm. These people who are making, like, let's go after the people who make bullets, right? <laughs> like, I always find it really interesting. I'm like, instead of worrying about your right to bear arms, how about let's just like take, let's, let's eliminate, obviously there will be states of lawlessness, right? We've talked about this because mm -hmm. it's like, you know, this idea of standing your ground, yeah. like the fact that you can stand your ground, we don't have that law in, mm -hmm. in California, the stand your ground law, but you have it in the South and in Southern, like Southern states feel like different countries where if someone goes for you and you f you have to prove that you have to, you had to stand your ground but you can shoot them dead that to me makes me really nervous mm -hmm. and i and i understand where it comes from right but it was outside of the context of automatic weapons and semi-automatic weapons like we should penalize the companies who who make manufacture those, yeah. death yeah and right? yeah we and it's funny because our laws don't really go after the companies and it's just like we are, we arrest a prostitute, but we never seem to identify the John no, the or pimp, the pimp. The pimp. No, and no, even the John, the guy who well, who goes and finds the prostitute. Because well, it's, it's, that's some rich guy who's coming from the suburb, right. and uh, and he doesn't ever seem to get penalized. Well, it's, it's the issue with Epstein, right? It's like the judge came out and talked about how many redacted names were on these documents, these flight traveling documents. Unredact them all. Unredact them all. Like mm -hmm. if if you're gonna burn someone, burn them. Yeah. Like you can't protect prime ministers, senators, governors, judges, heads of state. You, like, you know what I mean? Like it is, it's just, it, the fact that no one talks about it is crazy. And I know that we sound like conspiracy theorists, anti-gun, but here's the thing. We're tagging it from two different sides. We're saying we're not super into guns and we're also not into big government flying planes to islands that were filled with child molesters, right? Like it is, it is pretty, it's pretty remarkable the state that our government is in right now. Yeah, I, I like. How is it that there's yeah. video cameras inside of Kyle Rittenhouse's uh, trial, and not a single video camera inside of uh, Ghislaine Maxwell's? <laughs> you, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's of course because they want the media. To, <coughs> I don't know. It feels like they want media to dominate this situation, and they want this other thing to go sweep under the rug, like it has many times before. I don't know. How do you ignore that? Well, when I see something like. Um, <coughs> the Jeffrey Epstein, Maxwell kind of thing, I'm going, I have a feeling there are enough guilty people on every side of the political spectrum that they're all protecting it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not like one side just go, oh, we want to we want to strip, you know, all the redacted material and make it available to everyone. So it just destroys the other side. Yeah. I, uh, Who's getting paid when, for when both when, when both sides are guilty, yeah. you have um, a lot more cooperation in... Um, and cover-ups. And, and this is where I will, this is probably my conspiracy theory. I, there's no, there's no universe in which I believe Jeffrey Epstein just killed himself. There, there, there's there, no, what? You, you know, we're at minute 51 and people are, are <laughs> wondering when we're landing this plane. And, um, there, there is, there is no universe where I think that, um, politicians don't make decisions for their own personal benefit. Um, but, but here, here it's because I'm, I'm an optimist and, and, um, and I, and I, I, I want to say this, you, in spite of everything that we've talked about and in spite of all things going on with the crime that's going on, it is out of control. 
In Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, it is. Maybe not yeah. across the nation, but it's 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 insane here. Yeah. Um, yeah. People are afraid. Right. People are afraid for their lives. They're afraid for their property. They're afraid that their homes are unsafe. Um, it, it the quality of life here it, it's going down so quickly. It's almost stunning. Um, but you cannot allow what's happening to make you a different person. No. You have to rise above this moment. You have to decide to live a life of hope. You have to live a life of generosity. So I'm gonna give a couple of quick but suggestions. you do have to adapt, right? You have to be aware. You gotta get up to your farm. Because like, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> no. the reality is like, if, yeah. you know, if you live yeah. on a farm right. and then they build a city around you, but you treat it like it's a farm, you're just naive. Or you're unaware. You don't realize the world has changed or you want to accept right? it. Yeah. We, we live in, you know, we always, we've lived in a concrete jungle. We live in a city that was, you know, it was dangerous in the 90s. But for the last 20 years, we've had the luxury of it being fairly safe. Yeah. You know, th this city. And, you know, there's, there's conversations about how you go 20, you know, 10 miles south of the 10. It's a very different LA, yeah. you know, and that no one cares about it. And that the only, it, it only matters when it, it crawls into Beverly Hills, into West Hollywood, into Hollywood, you know? Mm -hmm. But a huge part of it is, is uh, you know, are we being naive? Like, are we in a city that has now changed mm -hmm. and now we're catching up with it? And do we, you know, how do you protect yourself? How do you, how do you adapt mm -hmm. to, you know, how do you not? Because it is to some degree, like there was a lot of interesting statements by Charles Darwin. Natural selection is one of them, right? Because how yeah. do you not be a victim of natural selection? How do you not like get canceled out because you didn't pay attention to the change around you? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think Darwin has a lot to say right now uh, yeah. because um, we we're because he's dead. But no, no, I, well, he, <laughs> you know, believe me, people still speak for generations. <laughs> I know, I know. And uh, it, 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 we're in this tension of the survival of the fittest. We yeah. are, aren't we? Yeah, but uh, we're also in a tension where, um, from a from a, like a social political climate, um, we're trying to ask the question. How do we create some level of fairness or equality for people so that everyone has the fair chance to right. to succeed? And um, and this is part of the dilemma. Sometimes, like if society doesn't move fast enough to create fairness, then um, then rebellion and anarchy will move faster. But what element of fairness do you mean? Well, interesting. What were you going to say though? I just wanted to like wrap up. Everything we're talking about. I think we're still going, I think. I don't know if we're wrapping <laughs> okay. up yet. Yeah. Just yeah. go. Just pack it. Just keep going. I think this is cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's fascinating to me that, I mean, I, I spent at least 10 years of my life working in intensely uh, impoverished areas with okay. people who were incredibly poor. Yeah. And and Kim and I didn't have very much either. So we, 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 we were- 10 years in Dallas? Yeah. In but Dallas. You don't count LA. Which is interesting. No, because, because you it, were in the hood too in LA. Yes, that's true. In East LA, yeah. I was in the barrio. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. Uh, but the reason I counted in Dallas is because um, mine and Kim's combined income would have qualified us for welfare for ten years. Yeah. So we were really poor ourselves. Right. And and all of our friends were people really in that um, same economics you know spectrum. But most of the people I knew were really. Um, good, caring, honest, hardworking people. They were just trapped in a cycle of poverty that was really difficult to get out of. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then you had the people who made their lives miserable. And what sometimes we don't realize because you see crime, like in LA, you see, yeah. um, you know, 
people following people home in gated communities or if you find people, you know, um, it's going cross-economic. But those same people who are co co they're committing crimes among the rich um, on, on a Saturday night, they're committing crimes on a daily basis in their neighborhood. Right. They're making life miserable for the people in, uh, in their community. Yeah. And so I think we need to realize that the crime that we're experiencing right now, it's, it's probably 10 times worse than we can imagine. Where they go home. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and if, when, when rich people are being affected by um, that level of crime, you cannot imagine the amount of, of um, trauma and tragedy and violence that the people who are more impoverished are dealing with at the same time. Yeah. And, and so, you know, if you are one of those people, well, you know, the rich get what they deserve, whatever, you know, yeah. and you need to realize that um, lawlessness hurts everyone not just the rich, it hurts the, the middle income person, the blue collar person, it hurts the person who's in poverty. And it doesn't make the world better for anyone. People who take actually hurt everyone mm. and they don't help anyone. They're not taking, and, and this idea that they're, you know, four guys are whole, robbing this guy at gunpoint, that yeah. somehow they're, they're stealing because they're gonna right. go feed their kids. Right. I don't believe that. I think that, is a very, very thin story. There are times in history where people have had to have felt they had to steal because they couldn't feed their families or because they were just so desperate. Most of the time, that's not the situation. Right, right, right. Most of the time, it's driven by envy, it's driven by greed, and uh, it's driven by uh, a lack of conscience and a belief that um, it's, it's morally acceptable for you to take what someone else has worked hard for. And, <laughs> uh, and I, and, and I don't think it's incidental that we have the same moment of increasing crime where we have a, the same moment where people do not want to work. And we have a moment where people are not interested in going back to work that much. They're not interested in working hard. I mean, you can hear the narrative across our country. And, and the thing is like, hey, if you don't want to work hard, then don't expect for the government or someone else uh, to pay for your life. Yeah. Like, I love this country because it gives me an opportunity to match my outcome with my talent and my determination. Okay. And uh, I, I love living in a place where if I work hard and I'm good at something, I can create a different world. Mm. I just want that for everyone. See, I, I do want that for everyone. That's where I, I want to drive our culture where every person, no matter how they're born, no matter what their status, no matter how rich or poor, has an opportunity if they work hard and take their talent and uh, their passion and can create a better life. Yeah, it's really interesting. No, I mean, I, I mean, I agree. I agree. I think, you know, the world is now here for the taking, especially especially in the U.S. Like, yeah. if you if you're taking, who, what did um, Buscemi call it? He called it. He didn't call it the stimmy. He called it. Uh, oh, what did he call it? He used a phrase for it, like just taking the check yeah. and just chilling out. And it was like, oh, it's so interesting. Like if you actually want to, there's so many jobs out there. Yeah. There's so many jobs. And I, and I, I think the world's changing, right? Like it, it does feel like the U.S. is becoming more of a socialist state, mm -hmm. you know, and, and even just in the values, even the fact that anarchy is allowed or that lawlessness is allowed, it feels like this, that, that it, it feels like we have created this space where from the media to like the every person 
where rich people are devalued, where successful people have been. And it's like the, the government wants to take from corporations, right? They like tax the rich, tax the billionaire, tax the 1%. And then it seems like the everyday man has lost their respect for the person who has become more successful than Mm-hmm. them right instead of looking at i think you know at least in the generations past like instead of looking at those people going okay i'm going to try to achieve what they've achieved or i'm going to learn the things that they've learned to try to build that mm-hmm. it's like no i'm going to go and take that from them now mm-hmm. you know and so it, it is it, it, we have lost a lot in this generation and i think every generation loses things and gains things so it's you know because on the other side like there's so many positive things there's all these nfts that are blowing up right and i don't even fully understand there's the metaverse that's like ripping wide open mm-hmm. there's you know bitcoin and all these altcoins and 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 it's just like there, I don't know if there's there's a there's ever been a generation more engaged in the stock market in new technology and progressing the future and then it feels like the also that there's there's never been more of a dangerous time than in this era where you have you have this you know out this 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 omicron variant and every new variant it, it this feels like we're living we were talking about this the other day it feels like we're living in this in the future we are mm-hmm. now living in the future. In this uh, a post-apocalyptic era. <laughs> right. This like very nihilistic, like, yeah. um, but there's so much hope, right? Like all these NFTs, we were talking about mm-hmm. it. Like the metaverse, we're talking about like, wh- mm-hmm. where does, where's Mosaic's position or in the in the metaverse? Yeah. You know, and I was having this conversation with Lawrence. He's like, I don't get it. And I'm like, it isn't for you. You know, because, you know, like we were talking about this battle ready, uh, not battle ready, ready player one. Yeah. I read that book a couple years back before it was a movie. And I think I told you, I was like, yo, this is the future. This is the future. Mm-hmm. As far as education goes and, and education, art, uh, I think mass congregation, people coming together, this is it's the most economically viable way. Maybe not now, but in the next 10, 15, 20 years, like every kid will, wh- why, go to, why go to public school when the public school system is broken, when you can, when you can literally have the best teachers in the world? Like education will change, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and then I think in a generation or two, education level will increase so dramatically that it would be like everyone's doctor. So now what, what are people, people can become astronauts, right? It's like <laughs> to be a doctor is going to be the everyday thing or to be a lawyer or to be a coder. And now, now I got to go and explore the world. We're going to go back to being explorers. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know. I'm, there's a lot of sadness, a lot of brokenness, a lot of crime, but I think the future is still hopeful. Uh, absolutely. And I just think that we have to decide to be a part of the solution and not the problem. Right. And that, um, but I, I, I do think that it's important to pay attention to what's driving our, 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 um, our actions as a society. You know, and I look at Elon Musk and I don't think to myself, why does that guy get to have so much money? Right. I look at that guy and I go, man, I wish I could have uh, as much impact on creating the future as he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't feel, I don't feel envious in a negative way. I feel envious, envious in a positive way. Like, right. um, I want to be more inventive. I want to be more creative. You know, when, when I look at someone and I, and I see them create a, you know, a multi-million, multi-billion dollar company, I don't think to myself, yeah. wow, what an unfair world that, you know, he has 10 houses and, you yeah. know, and $5 billion in the bank. I think to myself, what do I need to do to be more creative, to uh, yeah. to be more productive, like more successful? Yeah, and so I, I, I find that it's easier to make a, to to create a 
Uh, they're all the bad guys. Everyone who does better than me is the bad guys, and me and everybody below me, uh, we're all the good guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know. And what I I want to encourage people to go look. Uh, he, here's the crazy thing: when you steal, um, you're in the same condition a blink of an eye later because you didn't create. Mm. And I remember in the Bible, it actually says, let him who steals, steal no longer and do something with their hands that they may give to those who are in need. Mm. And I go, here's the journey. Uh, if you're stealing, stop stealing because you're actually just hurting yourself and all society. Mm. And now, and work, do something with your hands. Mm. Work is a good thing. There's no uh, work that is in a sense dishonorable. And, uh, and work is not beneath you. Work is not beneath me. Work is what actually in many ways instills the values that help us succeed. Mm. And then he says, and do something meaningful so that we have something to give to those in need. So what, the, what Paul's actually saying is stop taking and become generative so that you can give. Mm. And so really our journey, our economic journey is not finished until we become contributors to society. Wow. And, and that's the problem with stealing is that you're taking and you're static because to maintain the same lifestyle that you just took, you have to steal again and steal again and steal again and steal again. Wow. And the crazy thing is the person you stole from, they're probably so generative that they're going to create more. So you're right. They're going yeah. to find a way to create again. Yeah. And, and that's a tragedy. Instead of learning from them how to create, you want to steal from them what they've uh, accumulated. It's a really, really interesting thing. Um, cause I, uh, I had a friend in college. It was like a good girlfriend in college, right out of college. Mm -hmm. And she, I remember we, we, you've had Clipper tickets for a long time mm -hmm. and we were sitting in your seats and you've had great Clipper tickets and it, it's, it's easier to get great Clipper tickets because it, cause they, they were so bad. They were so bad. Yeah. Um, but now it's cool because now they're good. <laughs> so yeah. it's like inheriting, you know, you stay faithful. <clears throat> but I remember she saw people she knew from mm -hmm. where she was from. Um, Orange County and she was like oh I know them like they're really good friends with my parents like she said hi we said hi whole thing and they had kids there we're sitting, and they sit they sit floor seats mm. and back then I think they had two floor seats and then two seats in our section and the kids would sit in our section yeah. and then they would all switch out yeah. now they all have they're all married now and they all have they literally have all of the rows in front of us they wow. have the, like half that row and I remember she told me she was like they got robbed like maybe it was 10 years ago now but she was like they, they got robbed and they stole all of his watches and, you know he was very he's a very wealthy guy mm -hmm. And and I and it and it just what you said just dawned on me so so much because I, I I imagine those watches hurt him personally mm -hmm. like ah they probably had special meaning special memory mm -hmm. people some people are watch people and they they're symbol, symbols you know mm -hmm. and but I was like but it didn't hurt him financially you know I'm looking at him now I'm like he used to have two seats on the floor now he's got eight and I'm like there's something about the mindset of going you can steal from me something physical and they might have an emotional response but you can't take the thing that helped me get those things yeah. And I'm going to keep doing those. Like he just kept right. generating, kept building. Anyway, and that's the very thing. If you could steal anything, yeah, you should steal their brain. <laughs> you, you should steal the way they think, the way they see the world, the way they engage everyday life. Because yeah. if you steal what they've actually purchased, um, you're 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 just a black hole. But it takes humility, yeah. right? It does take humility. Because like imagine like what the work it took to find out that the guy lived there, you know, and yeah. I imagine they were in a safe or something. Uh -huh. I don't know. Maybe they were out. I don't know. But the work it took to get the thing that wasn't yours, mm -hmm. imagine just like it, it takes humility to go and sit outside of his house and go, can, can I just shadow you? Mm -hmm. Can I be your cleaner? Yeah. Can I be your driver? Can I be the guy who's, who just 
learns off the wall. Can I go to college with you? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that takes humility and it takes, and it takes uh, a moment of being humbled and a moment of being embarrassed, right? Because yeah. like, what if he says no? Yeah. You know, but we often want to do, we want to take the road that makes us feel most powerful. Yeah. Versus the road that makes us feel smaller. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think we actually need to celebrate, especially those small business owners and those young entrepreneurs and those people right. who work hard to do the mom and pop st- shops and, yeah. you know, and frankly, that's why immigrants are so awesome. Right. <laughs> because so many of uh, the families that came from other countries, they just opened a little mom and pop shop, know. And, you know, a little laundromat, a little pizza yeah. place, a little, yeah. you know, coffee shop, a little whatever it is. And, yeah. um, and, and from small beginnings, beautiful things come. It's so true. And I just, um, like, I, I just really want a better future for our nation. And you, you, you may not like wh- how we've come to where we've come. You may, you may be um, really focused on maybe everything that was done wrong over the last 300 years or so. Yeah. But here's the thing. Um, every nation is an imperfect nation. Yeah. This nation has made incredible progress in 300 years. Uh-huh. We're not going to create a better nation by destroying the nation we have. Mm-hmm. We're going to create a better nation by building on the nation we have. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I just w- would love to maybe just like summarize this particular conversation and going, this is a tough moment for all of us. Yeah. And there's a lot of chaos and um, swirling all around us. Yeah. Uh, but don't drown in the chaos. Rise above it. Be hopeful. Yeah. Um, set a new standard. Yeah. And let's all create a better future together. I love that. I think those are the those are the closing words. Are you happy with that? I am. Okay. I'm good. I just want to say thank you for doing this podcast with me. We spent the last hour just talking about all the things. Catching so, up. Catching up. It and feels catching good. up with all of our listeners. It feels good. I love you so much. And yeah, I'm really grateful you too, for your voice. And I'm glad. And hey, everyone that's part of the Battle Ready podcast, um, I'm just grateful. We're I know we're grateful that we're looking at the end of the year and it's just been it's been a it's been a two year process of all of these things. But mm-hmm. one of the things that I'm probably most grateful for is the fact that we've built this really cool community that talks about real things. And I actually woke up the the Sunday that I was like actually really sick from COVID and mm-hmm. I missed the Christmas lighting. And I was so <laughs> sad. Um, Cause if you don't know mosaic, if you've never been to the mosaic here, they ha- we have a gigantic Christmas tree in the front. Um, like, I don't know, front corner of Hollywood Boulevard in the Brea that we light up every year. And tons of people come out from all over to see it. And my friend sends me this text. And it was a screenshot of a text between her and another guy in London. Mm-hmm. And I found out afterwards. And it was just a screenshot, a link of our Battle Ready podcast on creativity. Wow. And I don't think she believes in Jesus. I'm not sure her faith situation. But she runs a really cool company that I love. And she's like, how crazy is this? And it was her friend who's like another crazy creative from London sending the link to her being like, you need to listen to this. And, and she screenshotted the text and said, hey, I really love this podcast. It meant a lot. Wow. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. So I, this podcast has really transcended a lot of relationships that even, you know, I didn't even know people were listening. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm really grateful. And, I, and I, we couldn't do this without the people who listened to it. And I mean, I guess we could, but... <laughs> But it would seem kind of silly. It would seem kind of silly. So, you know, you're a part of this as much as, as, much as we are, and we're really grateful. Um, I'm excited for the new year. I think there's going to be a lot of innovation with this podcast. I want to do some things with it. I feel like I didn't know what the purpose was for a little bit, and now I do. That's so, awesome. um, Can't wait till next year. I know. Excited. All right. Bye. Love you.